0: Being the Worst, episode 35. Recorded Sunday, September 1st, 2013. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst podcast audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsman. With your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdullah. This episode is the third of a three-part series on client-side development. Carrie and Renat discuss their initial experiment with applying the MVVM cross-framework to the GTD Samples cross-platform mobile application. They review why they selected this approach, the initial code in the solution, and plans to revise their core domain and published language into reusable portable class libraries. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. Okay, Renat, it's been about, oh geez, what a month since we had a conversation in the last episode when you had just finished cleaning up some of the Windows Forms clients. Mm-hmm. And we ended that conversation with me talking about some MVVM stuff and some of the mobile things that I was uh, looking into. And so I went off and did my experiment in the mobile space for a few, two or three weeks. And in the meantime, you were rewriting all of Locad stuff or something like that. So we've got a lot of cool stuff to cover, not only today, but coming up with the stuff you've been talking about on your blog. I'm excited to see that server-side stuff as well.
1: Absolutely. There has been quite a lot Fun and interesting experience out there.
0: Yeah, it looks cool. I saw some of your stuff about simplification and Unix, this and that. And I'm like, all right, this would be cool. But uh, in this episode, we're going to continue on in our client side adventure, and I'm going to we're going to reverse roles a little bit here, and I'm going to try to remember what I learned the last three weeks and try to summarize it for you a little bit, and we'll see how it goes. Sounds nice. All right, man. So right now, we'll have the code that I was working on. Uh, I'd put this client together probably in the last two or three days. My other experiments were in other work projects and stuff, and I took that learning, and I basically took a fork of our current repo, and we'll have links to it on the site. Mm -hmm. So for now, the way it's been developed is I initially was going to try to wire up the GTD domain, but that was getting difficult for a couple of reasons. (laughs) and I'll get into that a little bit but for the most part right now this is basically sort of like a standalone hopefully portable reusable mobile foundation and it has nothing to do with our GTD published language directly yet so we're not I'm not referencing those DLLs or anything and at the end of this we can uh, maybe if we think we're going to keep a mobile client a separate episode maybe can be about like how do we actually take this mobile sure, yeah. mobile thing and actually wired up to the, the right way like the windows forms uh, one is <laughs>
1: okay uh just one c- quick uh question in attempt to clarify uh-huh. you mean that you don't have uh, this app has nothing to do with our visual studio and c sharp implementation of gtd domain but it still is about the gtd domain as the field of getting things done and it's actually contains the words that we picked up earlier
0: Yes, absolutely correct. It's not wired up to our existing DLLs that we have been working on the last many months, but it is a GTD standalone client that uses the same words that we did, like action, project, and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yep, using the same kinds of words, but uh, technically the DLLs that we share have nothing to do with this program yet. But it was designed in a similar fashion to the WinForms client, so it's got an inbox, it takes actions and projects. It was meant to be migrated to our domain DLL. Awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, we definitely could use then uh, some screenshots from the episode in the show notes then.
0: Cool. Yeah, I definitely can do that, and I'll run it for you here too because you can obviously see it, but people listening can't. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually have it on my phone and was messing around with it. It Doesn't do much, but I at the uh, end of today I was bored and deployed it to my Nokia 920, and it was making sure I could actually click on stuff and type in stuff and turn it into a action and stuff like that. So it's Mm -hmm. the basics are working. So at the end of last episode, uh, we basically were talking about some common functionality that was seeming to uh, materialize on the client and server side, but Maybe Mm -hmm. under different pattern names and maybe different lingo, but generally we were seeing common things like events and messaging and passing messages around so that code can communicate with each other and stuff like that separation of concerns with various patterns like MVC and the WinForms approach. We talked about MVP a little bit and MVVM and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I think I ended that episode a little confused, like, hey, why are we kind of doing the same concepts but calling them all different things? And we aren't going to resolve that in this episode. We're just going to add another one to the mix (laughs) because I went down the MVVM road for specific reasons. and uh, so maybe along the way we can kind of compare and contrast a little bit with what we already know about MVC and what's going on in the WinForms client, if it makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so what did it take to build a Windows Phone application? Like, what, uh, what was the biggest effort for you uh, needed to make this thing run? What like, were some of the interesting steps? Because I have no clue of how to build mobile apps yet.
0: Okay, I'd say the first two weeks of my exploration was sort of narrowing down, like, what are my options? You know, because I, I wasn't writing too much mobile code myself. I dabbled with Objective-C for a, a little bit when I first looked into it a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Thanks, you know, that was like the extent of it. So when we decided I was going to go check out the mobile side and was doing my research, um, well, I'll, I'll get into sort of how I came to the conclusion to try what I, what you're going to currently see in the repository. So ideally in, in episode one, I think when we very first started this thing, um, just remember that I'm coming from the perspective of, you know, what would an individual do? You know, ideally I want to have the ability to build complete end to end solutions on my own if I needed to. So mm-hmm. this isn't necessarily what a, a company with lots of developers that can build different teams would do. This is what I feel like I would actually try to do if I was trying to build not only the server side stuff that we've been talking about, but also had to deal with the client side stuff myself. So mm-hmm. it's an individual's perspective. So so I'm not outsourcing stuff or anything, that kind of stuff. Uh, although in the real world, I probably would outsource some of this stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, again, I'm, I'm speaking on this episode as if I was going to do it myself, what would I do to make my life easier? So uh, episode one, I talked about, I want to be able to leverage the cloud, third-party tools, etc. And part of that obviously is I want to leverage whatever I can on the client side applications as well. And mm-hmm. on the client side, that's increasingly more mobile client applications first, or maybe only mobile client applications. So I think that mandating a single, homogeneous mobile tablet platform to support and develop on is like not really feasible anymore in some mm-hmm. cases maybe but certainly on the consumer side it's not really feasible so mm-hmm. so i was looking around and i'm like okay if I personally had to build cross-platform mobile applications, and I wanted to pick a common programming language to do that, my choices basically boil down to JavaScript and PhoneGap kind of things, mm-hmm. and running my stuff in like a phone's web browser control, or C sharp in the .NET framework compiled to native code on that platform, and using Xamarin stuff to enable the iOS and Android side stuff. So mm-hmm. we won't get into you know the pros and cons of all that. There's other shows and episodes about why you would choose one or the other, and there's a lot of Talk already out there. But basically, in my three weeks, I, for obvious reasons, probably because we've been doing C sharp forever and I don't know that much JavaScript, I opted to go look down the C sharp road to see what that looks like. So, if I'm the one man show and my simple brain is looking to understand some very good and broadly applicable patterns uh, that will likely be good enough for the majority of the problems I need to solve. I think right now my current perception is that MVVM model view view model or things similar to it is probably going to be one of those patterns for me because in the three weeks that I spent on this, the day, the one day I was reading about this stuff, my summary Mm -hmm. to myself was basically, you know, MVVM came from the Microsoft XAML stuff and it was an inherent benefits on the data binding side. So Mm -hmm. if you're trying to build Windows desktop clients with WPF and Silverlight or even uh, Windows Store Metro apps, you pretty much have full XAML MVVM there. And until there were some other frameworks, you really couldn't do MVVM data biting on uh, iOS and Android. But... In this episode, we'll get into an awesome framework that people have been talking about on .NET Rocks and the tablet show and stuff. And it's called MVVM Cross, if you haven't heard mm-hmm. of it. And so Xamarin kind of abstracts iOS and Android so you can use C Sharp on it. And then MVVM Cross sort of lets you put MVVM on top of all three Windows, Android, and iOS so that you can kind of even hide the differences between those three platforms uh, and still use C Sharp. Most importantly is it enables the data binding feature. So that framework is awesome. and uh, I'll Although we're not talking about it today, because Xamarin supports um, Macintosh apps as well, the MVVM cross-framework is also trying to support Macs too. So theoretically, if I was one person trying to do all this stuff and I applied the MVVM pattern to my client-side development, I should have a pretty good C-sharp.net framework story across desktop, mobile uh, to apply it to. Mm -hmm. And then with the increasing popularity of AngularJS and Durandal with Knockout on the JavaScript side, there's a lot of work going on in those frameworks to basically bring an MVC, MVVM type approach to web development as well. So I'm thinking with all those things aligning, that's kind of why my brain's liking these kinds of patterns because I I have to think about it less. (laughs) You know, it's just like, "Eh, Mm -hmm. where's my views? Where's my view models? Just learn the different syntax and forget about it. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So for this episode and for the near future anyway, until you convince me, otherwise, or I find a reason not to like it, I'm fully drinking the MV star Kool-Aid and that abstraction <laughs> to help my brain make sense of how I can reuse this code on uh, multiple client platforms. So as we get into the code, we've got to remember on all of these clients, all these cross-platform clients... What we're mainly trying to achieve is as much cross-platform reusable native code as possible, so C-sharp in this case, Mm -hmm. while providing a native look and feel view that the user expects on their specific platform. So in this particular approach, which is different from the JavaScript approach, in JavaScript, obviously, you're using HTML, CSS, JavaScript on the view side. In this particular approach, you're basically saying hey, I'm going to build as much reusability in the c .NET framework as I can, but for every platform, mm-hmm. I'm going to use the native platforms tools to build a native view instead. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in this case, we only have one client. That's the Windows Phone application that I built in the solution because it's free for all of our Visual Studio users. <laughs> so, it's easy to start there because you don't have to buy anything additional. Mm-hmm. So, in that case, we would be talking about XAML and the Metro kind of look for a Windows Phone 8, but obviously that would be totally different for Android and iPhone on the View side. So, mm-hmm. on Android, you would use kind of their XAML-like XML syntax, and on uh, iOS right now, you either use the Xcode Designer, the Designer tools mm-hmm. on the Mac, or um, you can programmatically build views uh, as well. So the rest of this episode then to achieve that cross-platform goodness is basically about the MVVM stuff that I did and portable class libraries a little bit. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you've heard too much about portable class libraries. <laughs> but Well, uh,
1: probably they're portable, <laughs> uh, meaning that they can be around on multiple flavors of Microsoft.net framework.
0: That's right. And generally, the confusion that seems to happen, because I didn't really... Other than what you just said, that's pretty much the extent of what I knew about it until three weeks ago. And mm-hmm. um, and basically, you kind of have two approaches that people are using on the Xamarin C-sharp code sharing side. And that's either manually linking C-sharp files in all your projects, mm-hmm. um, You know, a shared directory of a bunch of C-sharp classes that are literally in the CS files. And for each platform-specific project, you go in and manually link the CS files and compile them separately is the approach a lot of people are using right now but that's manual upkeep and kind of annoying, but it does work. If you're trying to live the MVVM cross or MVX for short, people call it MVX. I'm going to call it MVX for the rest of the time. So if you're Mm -hmm. trying to use the MVX framework, the guy, Stuart Lodge, who's kind of the main project lead on that, he's very big on trying to drink the portable class library, Kool-Aid and, when Xamarin fully supports PCLs like Microsoft does, Mm -hmm. um, we should be able to use the PCL reusable code stuff and not have to do all this manual linking. So in the solution that I have right now, we should be able to use portable class libraries to do our code sharing and not have to do the linking.
1: Okay, so just basically get one thing clear. Mm -hmm. Uh, Portable class libraries, Mm -hmm. like my perception and understanding of them is that that's the libraries that can be used on multiple flavors of Microsoft.NET. Like, uh, what other details? How are they really
0: different? Oh, okay. So on the PCL side, and uh, I don't know if you can see my screen, but I'm uh, in Visual Studio. Yes, I do. So... Basically, PCLs was like this big mystery to me until I got one real simple thing down because people were saying weird things to me in the early days of uh, mm-hmm. when I was asking questions on Stack Overflow and in the chat room uh, uh, asking about MVX stuff. They're like, uh, use Profile 104, Profile 78 sometimes, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what are you guys mm-hmm. talking about? <laughs> and so all PCLs is, is Microsoft looked at a bunch of their frameworks, you know, Silverlight 4, Silverlight 5, Xbox 360... Uh, WPF, etc., all the different various flavors of .NET Framework out there, and they sort of said there's overlap in the API, and depending upon which checkbox you choose, which platforms you want to target, you're going to narrow down the APIs that are actually available On across every platform you choose, right? Mm -hmm. So it's about figuring out, like, how many platforms do you want to support? And the more platforms you're trying to target with your DLL, the less availability of all the APIs. So if you narrow that down, you obviously have more APIs available. So that's still sort of vague, but really, watch my screen. It gets really easy when I do this. So when you go to File, New Project, this is all Portable Class libraries. Mm -hmm. So I guess
1: uh, when somebody opens this uh, branch, that we'll be referencing in the show notes. And if they have like Windows SDK installed, if they have Windows 8, they'll be able to do the same thing.
0: Yes, exactly. Everything I'm Mm -hmm. doing right now is basically, if you have Mm -hmm. Visual Studio 2012, everything I'm doing, if you installed the Windows Phone SDK, you should be able to do this. But that has nothing to do with um, the PCL. So Mm -hmm. if you have Visual Studio, even without Windows Phone, you can do PCLs. And right now I'm just doing File, New Project, Mm -hmm. just to show you what pops up. And in File, New Project, if I pick... Windows as the mm-hmm. target, and I see portable class library as a potential library that I can target there. Mm-hmm. So when I pick portable class library, see how it prompts me which platforms mm-hmm. do I want to target? Mm-hmm. Now, what this is doing is by picking these checkboxes, and for listeners, it's saying stuff like .NET Framework 4.5 for the checkbox, or I can change it to .NET Framework mm-hmm. 4, etc., I can change it to Silverlight 4 and higher or Silverlight 5, Windows Phone 7 or 7.5, 8, blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. So these are just checkboxes. Depending upon which versions of those platforms I pick and which checkboxes that I leave checked in this Add Portable Mm -hmm. Class Library dialog, that's going to configure my DLL to a specific profile a specific mm-hmm. PCL profile that Microsoft has canned up in basically some XML files, okay? Mm-hmm. so But the easy way to know like which profile number is it, because I'm canceling out of this dialogue, is I'm going into the repo that will be um, on our show notes. Here's how I know which profile, depending upon all my selections, which profile it is. When I pick the actual uh, portable class library in my solution, the PCL project. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, my project, right? This is my P- this is one example of a PCL I created that I've and I've mm-hmm. looked in references. And you'll notice under references, when you pick a PCL, you just get this generic reference to .NET Portable Subset, mm-hmm. and you don't really know which subset it is. It's depending on the checkboxes you picked. And the Portable mm-hmm. Subset, the profile is down here. It's see how down there in that path. Under, Seventy-eight, yeah. Yeah. If I ch- picked other things, I might see Profile One Hundred Four or something. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how you know which profile you actually ended up checking with all the selections in that dialog box. Mm-hmm. Now, in this solution, I ended up going with profile 78 because it was less choices. And the reason I did that, because a lot of people using the MVVM cross framework actually are targeting profile 104, which mm-hmm. is, um, supports a few older platforms like mm-hmm. Windows Phone 7.5 and Silverlight 4 or 5 or something like that. The reason I didn't do that is because in my other experiments, I was trying to use async and await and not have to d- worry about using extra NuGet stuff to make old stuff support async and await. So I just stuck with profile 78, which happens to be, uh, I believe, I'm double checking right now, profile 78 just happens to be when I pick in, the, in that PCL dialog box, if I just pick .NET Framework 4.5, Windows Phone 8, and .NET for mm-hmm. Windows Store apps, that basically mm-hmm. ends up being profile 78. Mm-hmm, so that's what these things are targeting. You can change them later. So, like if I change my mind, I can right click on that PCL library and pick different choices and it'll retarget it. But the references that I've made also have to be compatible. So, just have to be aware. You can change it, but everything you've referenced has to be compatible with whatever profile you're trying to change it to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. mm-hmm. So, that
1: makes sense? So, uh, yeah, just one quick question. Mm-hmm. So, uh, apparently, in order for this approach to work on iOS and Android, then Xamarin has to support portable class libraries. Are they working on that? Like, did they say that they'll have this done, or
0: there's sort of two two ways to answer that. So, in order to share C sharp and .NET framework code across Windows, iOS, and Android, you can do that today without PCLs by using with main, files with with using file links and or some. There's a couple of other things you can do to mm-hmm. sort of share code the old way. If you don't want to do the manual linking, you're basically waiting for Xamarin to fully support PCL so you can just create this one PCL and easily reference it in all your Windows and iOS Android projects. Mm -hmm. So
1: do they plan to support it?
0: Yeah, yeah. PCL should be good to go on the Xamarin platform. (laughs) Okay. And if it isn't, I would just rip out the PCLs and manually link files if I had to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's not the end of the world. I just have to you know, I'm trying not to do the manual linking.
1: Uh, actually, just for the reference. So basically, one of the approaches of uh, creating applications that tar- target multiple .NET framework versions is uh, to use uh, file linking. Mm-hmm. Because like, you know, you can, uh, when you're adding a C sharp file to existing C sharp file to a project, you can not just add it, but add it as a link. There is a drop down option. Uh, second option using PCLs. And the third option is, for example, what is done in uh, Greg's event storage. Uh, is you can use a lot of compiler directives yes. to include or exclude pieces of code.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. When you look at a lot of the Xamarin examples and what people are actually doing right now to, you know, ship apps today with what they can do, that's what you see a lot of is the, a lot of the if def, you know, if Android, if iOS. And, and you can certainly do that and it works. Um, but, uh, if you're trying to live the MVX pure Stuart Lodge way, uh, you're basically, you don't like those if defs and you're you're trying as much as you can to not have to do that if, if at all possible.
1: Okay, makes sense. Yeah.
0: Now, you'll see in this project, I'm just leaving them there because when I originally started uh, this client application, I was like, oh, that'd be cool if I can just use our existing domain objects in a published language, but that was going to be more complex for various reasons. But what I tried to do, because portable class libraries can only reference other portable class libraries, so mm-hmm. if I'm creating a PCL, and I want to pull in our, you know, GTD.core domain, GTD published language. They also have to be PCL compatible. So I was just curious, like, Hey, how much of our code that we already have is close? And mm-hmm. so I just, you know, moved all the existing classes over here and I made it compile with profile mm-hmm. 78. But, uh, the code changes I did and left out, um, we, we can leave that as another exercise because I'm not using them anyway, but things like the serializable attribute isn't supported, mm-hmm. you know, data contract is and. Some of the magic you were doing with the reflection and stuff also wasn't supported. So I just commented mm-hmm. out and said, ask me not if how much this matters, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in the current project, you'll see the solution folder of GTD core PCLs, and we can just mm-hmm. ignore that now. That's just sort of the in-progress stuff to see how close our existing code was to PCL compatible.
1: Okay, so uh, I see another folder called GTD mobile. Does that like reference uh, our core domain or does it reference PCLs?
0: No, so the the other solution folder of GTD Mobile, that is where I put this entire standalone mobile application and its shared PCL core. So mm-hmm. what I originally was going to do was I was going to go into – there's a project in here called gtd.client.core, and that happens to be my mobile applications, PCL with Profile78. That's the okay. – shared code that I'm trying to share across platform. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go in there and reference our uh, GTD core domain and published language. That's, you know, and I'm, I'm actually able to do that now with these ones. Mm-hmm. But um like I said, the code I commented out, I didn't know if I was breaking stuff. And I, when I was trying to think like, how do I actually make these aggregates work right with the client stuff? Like I'm too new to this mobile MVX platform. So I'm like, that's too much to think about in two days. Forget it. I'm going to forget mm-hmm. about it and build a standalone application and we can figure out how to wire up the domain later. <laughs> okay. So that's, nice. that's what that is. So in the current solution in the GTD mobile folder, there's only two projects and they have nothing to do with the other projects in the solution right now. They're just in there.
1: <laughs> well, so basically you mean uh, they don't reference other projects in the solution, but they still implement getting things done domain.
0: Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. In their own, in its own special way. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so the two projects again are gtd.client.core. That is a file new project, a PCL library, profile 78. And it created that new Windows class library. And when you're doing the MVVM cross way of mobile development, that's really where you're trying to put most of your C-sharp code and reusable stuff and is part of the model view, view model pattern. So inside of that project, you'll see folders like view models, Ooh. services, models, the data store. This is where the bulk of the work is, and that's what mm-hmm. you're trying to achieve because then the clients, the only client in, in here is called phone. Mm-hmm. And all that project should have in it mainly is these views, these platform specific views that reference mm-hmm. and use the view models and services in that cross platform core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense?
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: Cool. So one thing to note over the, over the last year, I've heard people talking about Xamarin, C sharp and using MVVM cross and other code sharing things and The percentages people kind of randomly throw out are in between, you know, 50 to 90% code reuse. And I think your mileage may vary. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. And I think that's a great approach to sharing a lot of that core functionality in the view models and everything from the view models back basically is portable, but it's, it might sound a little bit better. Like there's no silver bullet on the JavaScript side or the C sharp side because you're still going to have to spend the majority of your time once you get the portable code done is going to be Spent understanding the various nuances of the views of all the client mm-hmm. platforms and trying to figure out, like, what's that class name over there called in the iOS to actually bring up a grid and all that kind of stuff. You still need to deal with that.
1: Absolutely. Because even though the domain can be shared, well, if it can be truly shared, uh, each, uh, UI, each like platform, it has unique experience and feel. So if you're trying to uh, do something like with JavaScript and phone gap to implement same UI to be running on the same on all platforms, then you might have something running, but it will not look and feel native, which means that people will have cognitive dissonance when they look at the iPhone app and they see maybe website or something that is average. Yep. So I had one question. So uh, I see all these folders in uh, gtd.client core and Windows phone. Uh, mm-hmm. Could you just walk quickly through these folders? Like what is in each of the folders and like, what does it do?
0: Sure. No problem. So in GTD.ClientCore, and don't get that confused guys when you're listening. There's another project in there called GTD.ClientCore, all one word. That's our, yeah. that's our existing client core that we not built on the Windows form side. So that's why I created a solution folder. So similar mm-hmm. names, but different. So look in the GTD mobile. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for the mobile, different side. contexts, different context, Yes. So in the GTD.ClientCore, so remember, I'm using the MVVM cross framework, which fully is an opinionated framework. It lets you customize everything, but it's, it brings a lot of stuff along with it that says, Hey, I'm going to give you a common way to build cross platform, but I highly recommend you sort of think about the universe the way that I do and use my conventions and my built in IOC container. And stuff like that so that mm-hmm. things just magically work. In this particular case, when we talk about model view, view model, there's various definitions. People debate about like, what does model view, view model mean? But, um, I'll try to talk about mm-hmm. what I, what I currently have it structured as and how I'm interpreting it. So the folders that you see in client core, you've got model or models. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's the model in in model MVVM. <laughs> You've got, so what's
1: uh, mo- what's in the model?
0: So right now models is just these plain POCO classes. And so here's mm-hmm. this is probably the biggest point of contention on what does MVVM really mean. So mm-hmm. some people say that the model in MVVM really is just these simple POCO classes. You know, so inside of this folder, guys, I've got Action.cs, Project.cs, and ItemOfStuff.cs, and they're very mm-hmm. simple simple classes that happen to be very um I'm kind of cheated a little bit because I'm using a SQLite plugin. So mm-hmm. that's why you see this thing, primary key above it. But right mm-hmm. now they're just very dumb uh, classes that are just properties, you know, kind of stuff. Now, so basically
1: uh the action class, it's uh just a really simple. It looks like a data transfer object. Yes. It has like four string properties called action ID, trusted system ID, project ID, and outcome.
0: Yep, Yep. same names that you would be familiar with in our other context. Uh, Same kind of thing happening inside the project and item of stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, in some definitions of MVVM, basically what ends up happening is everyone's pretty clear on what the view is. Everyone's pretty clear on what the view model is. And some people sort of say, and everything else is the model. So in this solution, I kind of view my services, the services folder, because they're Mm -hmm. doing repositories and getting data. I kind of review view my services and data store folder and my models folder sort of as quote the model because at the end of the day the folder called data store services and models they're all working together to basically give me access to and persist my data.
1: Okay, uh, so uh, what is services folder?
0: So so um, the the data store folder and the services folder are very very heavily related. So Mm -hmm. data store is is basically a bunch of repositories in there that are, there's interfaces for those repositories and they're the things that are actually talking to SQLite. So I'm going to look at the inbox repository. Mm -hmm. So in the inbox repository, that's where I actually have my, my SQLite connection making Mm -hmm. those SQL calls to actually pull stuff out of the database, right? Here's my name of the SQLite database, et cetera, right? Like this is at the lowest level of here's my persistence, Mm-hmm. In, in this very simple implementation right now, the services are very, very similar. So you'll look at the interfaces to iAction repository is almost mm-hmm. identical to iAction service. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just another layer of abstraction because you can, you'll see how the view models sort of take a dependency on the services and not the repository. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's other examples that, that Stuart has online that Right now, in this simple example, it seems kind of redundant. Like, why do we have services and a data store? Cause they're almost identical.
1: <laughs> but, mm-hmm.
0: uh, I think when I learn more about MVVM and when I try to do more complex things, the interfaces for the services and the interfaces of the repositories might start to diverge a little bit. Right now, they're okay. almost identical though.
1: Okay. Uh, so basically for the listeners who are not able to open the solution folder, for example, I'm looking at Kerry's I uh, action service class, I uh, action service interface. And it looks like interface to the domain model, maybe uh, not that event sourcing uh, tailored. So it has like all actions, define action, get by action ID, uh, get my project ID.
0: Yep. And inbox so, uh, and similar I, stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, actually, uh, this interface doesn't tell us anything about the underlying uh, persistence model. I just happen to know that uh, the underlying persistence model is CRUD. Kerry is storing his getting things done, entities, uh, using like uh, save in the table, uh, update in the table, delete in the table, but he still uh, maintains this uh, domain language. So which means that if somebody is familiar with getting things done using event sourcing, he'll be able to take a look at this implementation, and uh, still it would make sense. And at some point, uh, underlying implementation can be swapped to use uh, event sourcing, as long as the services are fine-grained, and they're kind of uh, they don't mess up the domain language that we established earlier.
0: Correct, and I think they need to be tweaked a little bit to align with our existing language. This is just kind of what I remembered at the time. However, to your point, because we have these repositories implementing interfaces, theoretically, we should be able to take the iProject repository and build an implementation of that using event sourcing instead of SQLite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So we could swap out persistence to file or event storage at the data store level if we wanted to, and the services because they only rely on the... The interface should could care less. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, makes sense. So that's yeah. kind of what's going on there. Um, models, again, right now are just plain, those plain sh- uh, classes we talked about. And mm-hmm. you, you'll see in the view models, which is really um, the main meat of the stuff, pretty much what you generally see with view models is it's a one-to-one relationship with the views. Mm-hmm. um that's not always true but in, for this this framework kind of goes with that so you'll see in my view models folder i obviously don't have a full implementation but i've i started the inbox view model
1: mm-hmm.
0: i started a view model that lets me take the stuff in my inbox and make it actionable some way so turn it into a okay. pro- projects and actions um and then i also started a simple screen to be able to add stuff to the inbox and to create new projects okay Mm-hmm. These view models are very similar. When you look inside of them, they're very similar. So I'll open up Inbox view model because that's where things start. So you'll see in the Inbox Inbox view model in the MVVM cross framework, they always inherit from this MVX view model class, and I get some stuff that come along with it. So you'll notice that this view model in its constructor, it gets an I Inbox service injected. And then I MVX messenger injected and that's that MVX messenger is a, as a plugin. So MVVM cross has things that it's basically a way to share common code and it's called plugins. And mm-hmm. so I went into NuGet and said MVVM cross. It has a messenger plugin for passing messages around. And I use NuGet to install the messenger plugin. And that's what you see in my references right here. Mm-hmm. So see so yeah, how that's messenger. I also, it also has a plugin for SQLite. That's a reference to that SQLite there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a bunch of other ones like JSON networking uh, for uh, GPS support and stuff like that. Those are just sort of abstractions that it can be uh, applied cross platform. Mm-hmm. And you can make your own plugins. So I was telling you uh, earlier this week that in my other project, I actually am in the process because the plugins are really easy to abstract out. I'm in the process of making an Azure Mobile Services plugin for MVVM Cross, so that I can go into NuGet, say, install Azure Mobile Services Authentication plugin, and it now my apps just kind of know how to log in with Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and uh, Twitter. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Okay. And actually, uh, for the reference and for the listeners, this IMVX Messengers plugin it really looks. Well, its use really looks like uh, to our previous use of uh, in-memory message bus because I can h- see uh, here that you're doing MVX messenger dot subscribe to inbox changed message with all inbox changed.
0: Exactly, and that, and because I had seen this a little bit before, we we went over WinForms and I saw that they had this messenger plugin and. Some of the samples I was looking at seem to be doing that. When I saw your UI message bus, that's when I started saying like, Hey, Renat, I think, you know, like people are doing these, these things in a similar, similar way. And this is when you were looking at prism and, and all the other MVM stuff that you, you were using to influence you. This is why things seem like they're lining up because the patterns are very mm-hmm. similar. So Absolutely. that's exactly what we're doing in here. And in this case, in the inbox, the inbox is using the messenger service to say, Hey, um, This inbox view model wants to know anytime someone changes the inbox content. So the inbox service over here, when the Mm -hmm. inbox service who's managing my connection to the repository and uh, doing stuff, you know, if something somebody adds stuff to the inbox, for example, Mm -hmm. here's a method inside of the inbox service. There's a method uh, called add stuff to inbox. It takes an Mm -hmm. item of stuff. And it adds that item of stuff to the repository to persist mm-hmm. it, but it also sends an MVX messenger publish of the uh, inbox change message, which my view model is listening to. And that's how it keeps its view model and corresponding view updated with new stuff in its inbox. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sa- same kind of stuff you're doing with uh, WinForms. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So that's kind of what's going on there. You'll notice that common pattern on all the view models or not is they basically let IOC inject whatever sort of interface dependencies they want. And the code below uses those injection, injected services, uh, some way, basically. Mm -hmm.
1: That's all. And how does this bind to the UI?
0: So let's jump over to the other project. So remember. All the stuff in there, there's a lot of stuff going on there. We can probably clean it up, but ideally, that's going to be the reusable stuff that our iOS, Android, Mac, WPF, etc. programs could also reuse. So hopefully mm-hmm. we're building that once, and then we're just putting platform-specific views on top of this core, okay? Mm-hmm. So when we open up the Windows Phone-specific project, I literally just went in and said file new project, Windows Phone 8 application, it installs it. I go into NuGet and I do my references to the MVVM cross the framework and the plugins. So Mm -hmm. I I get all the stuff via NuGet. Basically, all this MVVM cross stuff and the plugins are all via NuGet. So I was able to pull those in quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. I referenced my PCL right here. So inside the Windows Phone Mm -hmm. project, I'm referencing my core PCL. I'm referencing the MVVM cross framework. I'm referencing SQLite and Messenger again because I'm using Mm -hmm. that in my core. But you'll notice that what I have in this project that I do not have in the PCL core is... Implementation libraries. Yeah, yep. the plugins know which platform I'm building on, and they inject the platform-specific implementations to do SQLite and GPS location on that specific platform. Mm-hmm. This is how we get our platform-specific functionality to work. Okay, so those are the references. This assets folder, a lot of the stuff is just boilerplate Windows Phone eight stuff. So resources, mm-hmm. assets, that stuff that's just there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the thing that matters, and it's naming convention-based, is MVVM Cross expects the UI project to have a views folder in it.
1: Mm-hmm. Which matches the view models.
0: Yes, which matches the views models by naming. So you'll notice my views are basically the same exact name as my view models, except without the word model, right? Mm-hmm. So I've got inbox view, which matches up with inbox view model. And Mm -hmm. MVVM Cross just wires that up for me automatically. So so, um, there's some setup stuff that we haven't gone into that we can look at later. But in the core project, there's some wiring code. And in the platform-specific project, there's some setup that tells it how to find stuff, basically. But Mm -hmm. the important part here is here's my inbox view. There's my XAML, which supports Mm -hmm. data binding. And so there's my simple inbox, right? And I'll just go ahead and fire up the client here. So I've got four views defined in my Windows Phone 8 project, one for each view model. And I got the basics, uh, it's loading up here. It's running, the oh, nice. yeah, it's running the Windows Phone 8 emulator. It's running a Hyper-V. This is why you need Windows 8 64-bit to be able to do Windows Phone because it uses Hyper-V as the phone's VM. So uh, the default view, I've told MVVM Cross that I want my default view model to be the inbox view model. So mm-hmm. it loads up the inbox view model and finds the corresponding inbox view. Just mm-hmm. like our Windows uh, Forms client, it says no stuff in your inbox. Hit plus to add some stuff now, just like the Windows mm-hmm. Forms client. When I click the plus, and I have a touchscreen or not, so I'm going to actually use my touchscreen on my desktop to use this emulator just like it was a real phone. Nice. So I'm clicking on the plus. And so when I click on the add stuff, it pops up the description, you know, to add mm-hmm. some stuff, and I'm just clicking some stuff, add. And because... Nice. Because I added stuff that message fired in the in, in the add stuff service. <laughs> the mm-hmm. inbox service fired a message that the inbox has changed. So when I navigate back to the inbox, the new stuff that I just added is in there. So I'm going to add mm-hmm. another thing. So now when I hit add, I've got two things in my inbox. And then mm-hmm. when I click on one of those things in the inbox to either trash it or turn it into an actionable item, I'm just clicking. I'll give you, some, I'm going to use some real words here. Stuff to my inbox.
1: Oh yeah, that's definitely something I have to do.
0: So wash car. Now I've got wash car item in my inbox. When I click it, it goes to my make stuff actionable view or something like that. I forgot what I called it, but mm-hmm. this is my make stuff actionable. So it's showing me the currently selected project. It defaults to whatever the stuff name was, wash car, mm-hmm. and I get to choose just like we have in our domain uh, model that we had from before. I can either leave it as is as a single action project and just click save. Mm-hmm. And it'll just create a project called wash car as well as a one action in it called wash car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all I'll do right now. Save. And it takes me back to the inbox. It takes it out of the inbox and says, okay, that's now an action. We can't actually go look at that again because I haven't implemented that view. <laughs> but it's in the database. Uh-huh. So, okay. So top. So now I have a new project called top. I'm going back to it. Now I'm going to uncheck the default, which is it's a new single action project. Mm-hmm. And it defaults to notice that my wash car project from before is sitting in there in this list that I could pick if I want. Or I can go down here in this folder at the bottom and say, I want to define a new project. Mm -hmm. And it says, what's the name of the new project. And I'm going to change it to define project. And now I've got this in my, the -hmm. the BTW project in my list. I can go down here and define the next action thing. And now I've got a new project called BTW. And the next action to take is whatever. And I hit save. Mm -hmm. And voila that's pretty much all it'll do right now. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: That sounds really interesting and it's really exciting to actually see how like you took the domain, although you uh, skipped the core libraries and you applied this domain to this platform and it's actually already running there on the emulator and as you've told me earlier, you uh, deployed it to your local Windows phone and you have like really simple uh, getting things done application there.
0: Yep. And it's persisted, um, uh, in the database and it's on the phone. And when I run this again, well, I cl- I actually see how I, I actually stopped the debugger in Visual Studio, but see how I mm-hmm. didn't kill the emulator. So mm-hmm. just, just to show that it's the persistence is working. If I go to the phone, my app is still there. It's got a little icon yeah. that says GTD by BTW. When mm-hmm. I go back in there, my data is still persisted. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. is, it is working. That's how I know that the database is actually saving stuff because, uh, it's not gone <laughs> now. The other thing I would note to your earlier point was I forgot because I I had built a Windows Phone application for fun probably when Windows Phone 7 first came out. And it was, you know, oh, cool, I can finally build a mobile application, whatever. And Mm -hmm. I forgot how motivating it can be to actually deploy your code to your actual phone. Like the emulator is really nice looking on here and it's fun to see it work in the emulator. But like it's a thousand times more fun to Take the work that I was working on uh, yesterday, put it on my phone, and walk around with it and push the buttons and see, like, you know, I found little stupid stuff like, oh, I hate that when I hit add stuff, it's not setting the focus of the text box to description, so I got to go change that or, little nice, you know, nice. s- sort of stuff like that. So I would highly... Dog-fooding. I would highly... Yeah, dogfooding. I would highly encourage anyone doing mobile app development to get your code on a device as soon as possible just so you can touch it with your own hands in the real world. And it makes... At the very least, it, g- it gave me motivation to come in here and spend another day on little tweaks like that, because you're like, all right, that was pretty cool, you know, so I would recommend getting it on a device as soon as you can.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So,
0: other than that, that's really all that's going on the solution, very simple skeleton, and I think that what we would need to do to make this more applicable to our existing stuff is talk about, so Renat, if I've got this client and I've, you know, I'm using the SQLite plugin, one thing to note is SQLite's kind of its own beast because it's such a simple file format and many, many, platform support it, and so mm-hmm. you've got native support on iOS, Android, and Windows for SQLite of some flavor. Um, mm-hmm. So many people just use it as a cross-platform file format, and they don't even really use it like a relational database sometimes. They just throw blobs in there. Like We could even implement the backing file store of our event storage system on top of it if we wanted to, if it made sense.
1: Absolutely. So Well, uh, basically from looking at the solution, I have this Tingle to try to adjust uh, core libraries like uh, the one with the original uh, domain mm. that we uh, it's currently not portable mm-hmm. as portable library. Uh, the question comes, so if I say implement, like tweak getting things done core, the original one, mm-hmm. uh, to be portable, uh, would it be hookable to Windows Forms application?
0: To Windows Forms? Probably, yes, I think. Yeah, I don't see. well... When... So
1: probably I would need to throw out usage of dynamic... And maybe to switch serialization to something else.
0: Windows Forms technically is some version of the .NET Framework. So if Windows Forms is using .NET Framework 4.5 or 4, and that's all you're using, those, you know, you know, like well,
1: if, well, we can give, give it a try to see if it works. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it, uh, the reason why I'm really interested to see the core uh, domain running. Uh, like on PCL, mm-hmm. uh, so that it show up on Windows Phone application, uh, because currently you're re reimplementing things and, yes. uh, they are slightly different in implementation. For example, like you save something and publish the event. Although ideally you're saving the event would be the, uh, the publication of the event, uh, ensuring that you have the same, uh, absolutely the same information that is persisted and shared. Mm-hmm. Thus preventing the code from like going like crazy that something is saved, but the stuff that is shown is different. And also, actually, if we were able to use our client model that is immutable, so uh, then it maybe you would not need to use repository classes to get stuff mm-hmm. uh, because uh, when event is published, it already carries over a replica of the model. So you can maybe you can just somehow data bind it to the UI. Without going to the repository to actually get something,
0: it seemed like it would be possible because a lot of what those things are doing seemed very, very similar to just our persistent view models. You know, like going out and just getting the pre-calculated result. It was, it, it was similar to what the view models are already doing with these services. So, here's an example. Like I mentioned before, there wasn't a ton of stuff that wasn't supported, but like for sure, the serializable attribute was not compliant and whatever you're doing with this serialization info thing to do these domain errors that wasn't working. Oh. And on some of the stuff, like I was able to change the word serializable to data contract and data member, but I really didn't know like what I was doing and why I was doing it. But
1: Okay, actually data contract is good. So basically it's serializable. It's the code that is used by uh, .NET binary serializer. Mm-hmm. And so all exceptions uh, come with this uh, serializable attribute. But if PCL uh, doesn't need serializable and it's okay with data contract, then we don't care. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually not sure myself why the exceptions must be serializable.
0: Yeah, you'll be able to tell very easily. Like, and you can. It's probably easier for you to see just taking the existing ones. And well, I mainly moved the classes over because it's easier. Like, I literally yes. just recreated the files. I went in, I created a blank PCL, targeted a profile, moved the files over. And each file, as each file comes over, you can see a resharper and everything just lighting up like, nope, nope, nope. You know, I'd love to, uh, talk about that maybe when you're doing it to just take some notes as you're migrating it. Cause I think pe- that's a whole separate topic people are dealing with. Like, how do I take my existing code and make it portable? So I'd be interested to see like how painful or not it was to make uh, our stuff portable.
1: Sounds like a plan. So yes, that's something that could be. Established as a homework mostly for me and for you uh, to try to migrate more of our core domain to the portable class libraries mm-hmm. just for the sake of experience to see how it goes. And this way you'll have more underlying functionality implemented already for you while focusing on the mobile UI. Yeah,
0: because then once those are portable and we know that our aggregates and all the other stuff we already had from before is, is referenceable in my stuff... Then, obviously, it'll be easier for you to explain to me, like, the application services and how my services are working and, like, how the view models interact with stuff. They're doing similar things, but I couldn't conceptually place them in my mind. Like, you know, so which part of my client application right now is really kind of acting like the app service? And how would I migrate this to an event sourcing-based approach with what I have? That'll mm-hmm. be an interesting conversation to just go through at some point. Okay, um, it. The other thing to just note for links that we'll have in the show Is, um, it's not like a giant community yet, but there's, you know, there's several people using MVVM cross. And I would just wanted to say that Stuart Lodge, who is the project lead is awesome. Like he answers questions on Stack Overflow really fast. So ask your questions on Stack Overflow and he gives like really thorough answers. They also have a Jabber chat room that. I go in there and there's a few guys in there that helped me in the last few weeks. I was just the newbie, you know, asking really stupid questions that I, you know, I should have read the manual on half the stuff, but they were really cool and nice. So Greg Shackles, who wrote a, a book on cross-platform development with C-sharp, mm-hmm. uh, he's in there a lot and he's very helpful. This guy who goes by Cheese Baron Thomas was in there. He was helping me work on the authentication stuff. And Jonathan Dick has some sample applications that use MVVM Cross. Um He's got a bunch of open source stuff that's cool. And all those guys, plus just random people in there, been really helpful in there. So it's, I've really liked the community so far. I love the momentum around it. I love people who are trying to build their own plugins to expand it out. And uh, if you like it, jump in there and, and get this thing going because I think it's a really cool uh, framework to use. Okay,
1: sounds like a really nice and quick introduction into the MVM and Windows Phone development. Yep. And I guess we have our whole work set up for us.
0: Yep. Oh, one last thing. If you want to get mm-hmm. into it, uh, there'll be a link to what Stuart Lodge calls the N plus one days of MVVM cross. It's basically free videos where he's just screen capturing for 30 minutes to an hour on various topics on this. This is how I learned pretty much everything, how to do it so fast, which is uh-huh. go watch those videos on YouTube. We'll send a link to him and he's just doing those for free. He's got like 30 of them so far that are all great. So thank you. Awesome. St- thank you, Stuart. And uh, I think that'll do it. We're at an hour. So we are at being the com at being the worst on Twitter or not. Is it, May the force be with you, or what are we leaving with today?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, keep on learning, I guess, because there is so much to learn and practice, and by learning and practicing all the basic things, only that's that's one of the only ways to attain mastery at something, and that's what we're trying to do by being the worst.
0: uh, Well said, and just keep it portable, man. Keep it portable.
1: (laughs) Okay, talk to you soon. Bye.
0: Take it easy. Bye-bye.